Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Welcome listeners to another episode of I Am Speaking with Shailushi and Kosha. Or with Kosha and Shailushi. I think it's officially it's Shailushi and Kosha. That's what's on is all it? of our merch and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes back and forth. But is that trans transmuted? No. That's my son would be so unhappy that I can't remember the Glad math term. Not there because yeah, I know. Anyway. Anyway. We don't need to talk about math so much as we need to talk about today's guest and her name is lee steffi lee is a very very good friend of mine we've known each other for almost 20 years and we're not talking about out of the home employment jobs so much as we are talking about the work that happens at home what's interesting to me is you know i don't think that that she's so much out of the box, like, or that it's so different for people where you're like, oh my God, this is, this is so weird that, you know, a mom would do this thing that's normally a a blue chore, quote unquote. But what I found really compelling about her story is that she really doesn't know it any other way, that this has been her story since the beginning, right? That like, even when she was, a kid, this is really how she was raised. And I think what's so great is to hear how it carries through to her relationship today. How have they decided to manage, you know, the whole host of of tasks that come with being married, living in a house together, having a child? I mean, how does all of that stuff play out for them? And it kind of makes you think like, oh, wouldn't it be great if People just pick what they wanted to do, what they like to do, instead of feeling obligated, oppressed even by what they're supposed to do. Her stories are, you know, they're hilarious. Like so many of her stories are so funny. The one with the orthodontist, I'm not going to give it away, but the one yeah, with the orthodontist that was so good. is so good. But a lot of her stories really are poignant because there's a deeper issue of well, why is that funny? I have met her before. I know her, but I got to know her so much better over the, you know, this couple hours we had. And it was seriously like, oh, now I know why she loves you so much. She was really open. Um, and she was hilarious. Like I laughed, I laughed really hard. Like it was, it was a great episode. She's a great storyteller, even though you'll hear her say that she 
does not tell great stories. She's a great storyteller. Yeah. Um, and she's incredibly insightful. And I've always appreciated that about her. Yeah. Um, I hope, I hope everyone listening to this enjoys it and can maybe, if you know anything about me, can see why Lee is one of my best friends. Absolutely. So enjoy listening to this episode with Lee. She is speaking. Hi, my name is Lee. My pronouns are she, her, and I am speaking. Hey, hi, Lee. Hi, Lee. Listeners, you are in for a treat today. This apparently has been the season of me or us talking to my friends. Last season was Kosha's friends. First season was like kind of a mix, but this season it's a lot of my friends. So well, first season, we had to like really make sure that we didn't just, because it was first generation Americans on the first season. So we had to make sure it wasn't like, how about all of our cousins? Because we, <laughs> we didn't know, like we were fledgling podcasts. We didn't know a ton of people. So, and, and yeah. And then second season was like, oh, I have this friend who is gay or somebody who's trans. Like it was all people I knew. Lots of theater now, people. Lots of theater arts people <laughs> from high school. And then, yeah, this season, it's like all of Shulshi's friends who are bucking gender stereotypes. Yeah. So we are joined today by my dear friend, Lee. Lee and I have known each other for 20-ish. <laughs> Has it been 20 years? Oh, yeah, just about. I think we're at 19, not quite 20, but it's an obscene amount of time given how young we actually feel. Yes, <laughs> very much. Like, I guess I've known you since I was 12. Like, that's how I feel. Pretty much. We went to high school together. I'm sure of it. We'll ignore the geography. <laughs> Two of your, or one of your friends, Dawn, who is very good friends with both of you, was on the podcast. How did that, ha like, who introduced who, who is in each other's lives first? Uh, well, Shailu and I met actually at work. So we were working at a nonprofit called the Marin Institute. This organization had gone through a, a really big change. They had basically shut down to refocus. So they let all the staff go. They got an interim executive director. And I was one of the first people the interim director brought on. And so we started to rebuild this nonprofit. And, and Shailu came in, what, six months later, maybe? It was kind of amazing because it was the closest before our current pandemic that I'd ever been to something like Pompeii, right? You'd walk through this building and people had like clearly stood up and just left it as they were. There were like dirty coffee cups. And I mean, you it felt like they had left for the evening thinking they would come back, which I think we can all really relate to right now. I get back in the office, then we are sent home again, then I'm back in the office, but like, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was home sick for the day before. I had a migraine the day before. So I didn't even pack up my stuff before they sent us all home. So you stood up, you walked out, you thought you'd be back in two weeks. So that's how Lee and I met each other. So Amy met Dawn through the Newman Center uh, at the UC Berkeley campus. And I knew Amy from a high school friend, actually. Um, I met Dawn through Amy. 
and then I kind of like, as I tend to do, pull people together. It was a birthday. It was one of my birthdays. I was like, come to dinner. And then we all just for it, just hit it off. The first girls weekend ever, I was pregnant with Lex. I was like seven and a half or eight months pregnant with Lex. We rented a house on the Russian river. And that's kind of when things like really gelled. Oh, that's when you got super wasted, right, Tulsi? Yes, when I was <laughs> eight months pregnant, yes. I'm just kidding. To everyone out there, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I promise she did not have anything to drink. <laughs> so Lee, besides the background and how we met, so that might be an interesting story for our listeners, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about you. So tell us a little bit about your background and you can start either from now and go backwards, or you can start from when you're a kid and move forward. It really depends upon like what you're comfortable with. I think it's probably easiest to start in my childhood and move forward. My dad is a military brat. He's the oldest of four. So, so as the oldest, he had a lot of responsibility. So a military brat is, is the child, right? Like that it, it's the child of the person in the military. Okay. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And it's not like a derogatory term and it's an interesting lifestyle, right? Because you move every couple of years. So if you're not outgoing, it can be really hard. The kids either thrive or don't thrive and their personalities really shift based on it. My dad's family is really from South Carolina. My mom was born in Illinois. Her family spans back in Illinois for a couple generations on her mom's side. Her dad was first generation. Then she grew up actually in Michigan. So where in Michigan? Flint and Saginaw. I would have to double check. My husband's from Michigan, so I'm familiar. And listeners, this is really important, right? If you know Flint now, that's not the Flint that we're thinking about. We're thinking about Flint in the heydays of the, you know, the American car boom, the fifties and sixties where everything was just, Flint was amazing. Detroit, all of that stuff. It was like the coolest place to be. Yeah. It was a wonderful place. And they actually, my grandparents moved to California when my mom was in college because that's when it was starting to, all the plants were shutting down, jobs were becoming hard to find. And it was a really difficult thing. So my grandfather was able to get a job in California. My grandmother had an excellent job in Flint. However, they don't pay women. Like at that point, they didn't pay women very well at all. So even though she didn't really want to leave her job in order to kind of make ends meet, they had to move to California where my grandfather could get a good job. So that that's how I ended up in California, actually, is that my My grandfather asked both my mom and my aunt, you know, come out to California when you finish college for one year, just come and stay with us for one year. The adjustment isn't as easy as we thought it would be. It's really hard to not have friends. I mean, you can imagine moving in your forties is not the easiest thing in the world. So both of them came out. They were teachers here. My dad was stationed because he actually went into the air force. He was stationed out in, um, Sacramento area. So, so were you a military brat too then? No, my parents got out of the military right before, like maybe within a year before my brother was born. And my dad was, he served in Vietnam. They were located 
in the upper peninsula of Michigan. So, which is why I can drive in the snow as a Californian in a place where it doesn't (laughs) snow. And I know all of the survival techniques for that, right? Like, (laughs) which everybody here is like, I don't understand why you need to drive around with water and food and a sleeping bag in your car. You're just going up to Tahoe, (laughs) which is a like three hour drive for us. Only one hour of which like the last third is in the snow. And I'm like, that's, you just have to do all that. I'm sorry. You can go down the street and get stuck in a ditch in the middle of Michigan. So (laughs) kitty litter, water, sleeping bag, all that stuff. Yes, I agree. Flashlight, extra charger. I mean, the other interesting thing is like, uh, just as Christmas, Tahoe got dumped on, right? And even people who are used to driving in the snow could barely go anywhere. Yes, you absolutely have to carry that stuff in the back of your car, so... Right. So um, when my parents got out of the military in in the early 70s, so they got married with the idea that they were going to settle down and start a family. And they moved to uh, Marin, California, which is where I'm from. When they bought a house, that's the house they still live in because my dad did not like moving. And so he actually made many career choices with the idea of keeping us in the same community our whole lives, which I mean, in some ways worked out really well for him because we both live within 10 miles of my parents. It worked out well for him. Worked out well for him. I have an older <laughs> brother <laughs> who's who's um, a little over a year older than me. So your dad, yeah, your dad was like, I was, he went opposite. He wasn't even like, I just don't want to move that much. He was like, I don't want to move at all. Right. By the time my dad was in high school, he had been, I mean, I don't even know how many different schools he'd been in, but in high school itself, he'd been in several different schools. And so he actually finished up high school without his family. So his family moved on to their next destination and he stayed They had property where he was and he stayed as a teenager, you know, and they had family in the area who would check on him, but he lived by himself. He was definitely not into any kinds of changes in our lives. Like that was something he was really adamant about. And I mean, he, he actually changed careers. So he's an electrical engineer and he changed to being an accountant during one of the, you know, economic downturns because that, in order to stay in the area, he just shifted into a new career, which many of us are not in the same career we started in, right? But that's a pretty major change. Yeah, a lot of us change careers, but the motivation behind his career change was location, location, location. It it made a difference. That's a huge change on one end that would be really destabilizing for some people to be like, oh my God, I'm going to a new industry and I don't have any network. I don't have any connections and I don't know how this works and blah, blah, blah. And your dad's like, I need my house. I need my community. I need to know like, like which back roads to take to get to where I'm going. In Marin and in California, it's a little bit different than in a lot of the country, which is like long commutes have long been a thing. So my dad spent most of his career in San Francisco working but he also worked in the East Bay. You know, it wasn't unusual even back then to have over an hour commute. Wow. 
Um, so it, it wasn't just like, what can you get in, you know, in Marin? It was like, what can you get in the greater Bay Area? You moved to your parents bought a house in Marin and they settled down there. And that's when you and your brother were born and they still live there. What was it like growing up? You know, that's a, that's a tough. So my mom was a stay at home mom for about the first 12 years of my life. And she was incredible. All the, like the best birthday parties, she's so creative and she just had all of the stuff down. And then when I was about 12, she picked her career back up. So she was a teacher and she went back to teaching. And I'm sure you can imagine how hard that was to shift. She also went to grad school at the same time that she started working again. Wow. Yeah. So wow. She, she was a teacher and she got her administrative credentials so that she could expand her career. Similar to being the most amazing, like on top of everything, stay at home mom, like she was that amazing in her career. But when that happened, the rest of the family sort of had to pick up some of the chores. And I have to say my dad was fantastic because he might've struggled through learning some of the stuff, but he never like bulked at doing the laundry and cooking and cleaning and all of the things that I think during that time period, people might have felt like, oh, why are you doing that work? That's women's work. But let's be honest, there's actually no work that is gendered except for ironing. Ironing is clearly men's work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say, if your husband is ironing with his penis, then he's doing it weirdly. (laughs) But you know what? If it works, then yes, it's men's work. No, I I don't think there's any of that involved. (laughs) I'm kidding. Yeah, right, right, right. You do you. The point you're making though, about like, you know, in the eighties that, that doing cooking, cleaning, all that stuff, like they made a whole movie about that called Mr. Mom, where like the whole thing was like, isn't this so weird that a dude whose wife is going back to work and making an S ton of money would stay at home with the one-year-old and take care of the house, right? And thankfully we are now moving to a more balanced view of like, hey, the person who wants to work or the person who's making the more money, things are a lot more balanced. So your dad totally picked up the the work, the house related work, the housework, this housework, that's what it is. (laughs) What, I don't have to like qualify it. It's housework. Related work. (laughs) I know, it's like, yeah, housework. Um, someone, someone at work once called it lifestyle maintenance. And I was like, (laughs) I like that term. I like that. So she was like, I, it's a lifestyle maintenance weekend. And I'm like, I'm going to steal that. But my lifestyle is my lifestyle is a lot about wine and naps that weekend would get nothing done. (laughs) That's true (laughs) for you. I think it's the supporting your lifestyle. Like you have to do some things to support naps. That's the difference. Correct. So your dad was doing housework, your mom was back at work. How did your mom react to that? If your mom was like super mom and then sort of, how did that play out with you and your brother? So my mom, which is, this is a, a, an attitude that I think we all should have if we don't want to do all the work ourselves was really not judgmental about the level, like 
how well things got done. I mean, she wanted everything clean and such, but she wasn't like, oh, this meal that has been cooked is not up to par. So, and, and definitely my brother and I also stepped up. So at, at that point, we learned how to do laundry as well. Um, we had both been cooking with my mom for years. That's part of being like super mom is all our lives. She'd been like, here, while you're setting the table, help me chop for the salad or stir this sauce. Or, I mean, she had done this really great job of preparing us. And so for us, you know, like there were a lot of changes. So like one thing that is a change is when you have a stay at home mom, they're willing to cart you everywhere you want to be. So school and swim practice and um, friends' houses, all of that stuff. But when your parents are both working in ways that they can't get to you very easily, suddenly it's like, learn to take public transportation, ride your bike to swim practice, ride your bike to school. You're gonna have to ride your bike to school after we've left for the day. So you're gonna have to make sure you leave on time. I will say that my parents did a great job of preparing us so like packing your lunch was something that we had been taught to do from a young age. So it wasn't like, oh my God, all of a sudden I'm in charge of my lunch and of getting to school and of this, all of this. But it was a, a real shift because when you're, when you're used to somebody else kind of shuffling you along and all of a sudden it's like, set your alarm, get yourself dressed, make sure your stuff is ready and get to school. And by the way, nobody's around to bring you your lunch if you forget it. And if you get sick, we're gonna have to call somebody on the emergency card that isn't- Mom or dad. Mom or dad. Yeah, because teachers cannot like walk out of a classroom because their child is sick. Sure. You know, and my dad was in the city, so, and he took the bus to work. So it wasn't like he could just drive home. So. It had to be something pretty rough for you to, to be home. So, and there, I mean, there was also a lot more time, but this is true for many people in the eighties. There was a lot more time for us as kids uh, home alone, right? Latchkey kids was a thing. And, and it was a really common thing. You got yourself to school and you got yourself home. And then you were supposed to do your homework, like the level of responsibility and then start dinner was really different. Like I think about, I think maybe I'm failing my kid because I don't make her do as much. You know, she's 13 now and I'm like, oh, is she competent enough? So because my dad had to do a lot because his dad was away a lot, his goal in raising us was to make sure we were competent human beings. I, I think he, that my parents really succeeded in that, but I'm going to go back now to our, our little bit younger childhood. So the way that we were both raised was the same. My dad and my grandfather, which was my mom's dad, by the way, which is kind of a cool like in-law relationship, would take us camping all the time, my brother and I, and treated us the same. You know, like there wasn't a gender difference in what you could do. And there wasn't a gender difference in like the expectations. So all of the stuff, you know, my dad had us both out painting the house and he had us both helping him like put in a deck in the backyard. And he had us both camping and hiking, 
we both had hunter safety courses. We both like all of those, there wasn't the kind of in a time when things were very gendered. Oh, my son and I are going fishing and my daughter will do dance or whatever, you know, like there wasn't that sort of expectation. It wasn't like if I wanted to do dance, absolutely I could do dance, but there wasn't, these are the things I do with my son and these are the things I do with my daughter. It, le- it sounds like it leaned toward the things that your dad was very comfortable with, right? Hunting, fishing, wildlife stuff, building. It's not like we both, he took us both to fish and hunt and he took us both to ballet. Definitely he took me to all of the things he loved, but my mom loves theater, which I also love. They took us both to the ballet. They took us both to the theater so there was balance. This is, yeah, there, there was definitely balance in terms of the activities. In fact, my brother still does most of the cooking for his family because he's a fantastic cook. He loves to cook and his wife is happy with that plan. Right. So there's, you know, like who wouldn't be right. I know. Have you ever asked if he cooks with his penis? Because if that's a thing, <laughs> maybe you're Maybe your family is just doing gendered things really well. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically doing non-gendered things. <laughs> Very gendered. Why are you putting the salt in with your boob? I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, that would be exciting. They taught us all these things as a family unit, so there were no, like gendered parts used for anything right fair fair (laughs) so I wanted to mention one thing which is you were saying like oh I'm I hope I'm not failing my kid the other day I had to tell my older kid that from now on they have to be ready to go before they sit down and watch TikTok videos 813 they need to leave the house at 8.16. And they're like, oh my God. And they're like running around and they're like, do I have my water? And oh, my shoes and mom, can you take me? And I was like, I will take you because it's snowing, but this is it. You better have all your stuff ready before you sit down. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And when we missed the bus, it was, you walk to school. You're definitely getting to school late. Oh yeah. And there's one time, this is a level of like hard assery that my parents had. Did we both miss it together, Kosha? I think we did. We both missed the bus together. And my dad's like, you're walking. And so we started walking and he drove behind us the entire time. He didn't make us go all the way. Cause I was like- No, it was like a mile. It was was a mile. Like I was not old enough to go three miles. If we missed the bus, then you had to walk the two blocks back to home, grab your bike and book it because you didn't want to be late. But Yeah. yeah, that was your option, man. Now you were going to have to ride your bike fast. Why didn't we have the bike option? That would have taken us like way less time. Our school didn't have anywhere to park and lock bikes. That's Oh, that's right. Okay. To loop, to come back to the main thread here, both of your parents did a really thoughtful, comprehensive, I'd say pretty comprehensive job of training both you and your brother in all kinds of life skills, right? And didn't, didn't distinguish between you and your brother in terms of like, hey, I'm doing this thing, which is carpentry. And so I'm only going to do that with the boy. And then I'm doing this thing, 
which, you know, is a nature walk. And I'm only going to do that with the girl. Like everyone did everything. Oh yeah, no, it's um, the only time I ever had that experience where it was super gendered is when, when I was uh, 10 or 11, we went to see my grandparents and as the girl, my cousin was there as well. As the girl, I had the guest bedroom with the big like double bed and it was super nice. And the boys were on a pullout couch in the den. Like my granddad was, he was still a very military focused person. So like you were up when you were supposed to be up, et cetera. Um, except for the day that he had the boys like skin rabbits. That day I got to sleep in because that was a boy thing. And, you know, I was not upset over that. I was going to say, did you want to skin rabbits? Right. <laughs> no. But that was your granddad, not your parents. Right, so. right. That's the, to just give you like a juxtaposition yeah. of yeah. like, that was sort of, you know, the only time that I had that clear, like, boys do this and girls do this. But it sounds like if your dad was the one who was in charge of the rabbit skinning, you would have been up with them. Well, yes. I think that if if that had been like a, a thing that he um, was hoping to teach me, then, or to teach either of us, that would have been absolutely, everybody would have done it. You know, he, he always told this story because we did, um, at the time, it was called Indian Princesses and Indian Guides. I They have a much more appropriate name for it now. <laughs> I was like, I was an Indian princess for Halloween one year. I was five, right? It was kindergarten because we just had Indian clothes. We had Indian clothes all the time. So my mom made a <laughs> stick with a star and was like, you're going to be an Indian princess. That was it. Anyway, so you said Indian Indian princesses, Indian guides. Right. I think they're like adventure guides and adventure. Oh, as in like Native American. Okay, gotcha. Right. So it was indigenous people, but um you know, the, again, this was seventies and eighties. So we were a lot less correct. Yeah. Um, but dad would always laugh because he would, he's like, it's the same dads. Right. And the, the deal with that is unlike Girl Scouts, which you normally have moms as the troop leaders, although it's changed a lot. So in my kids troop, like we, we have both moms and dads that are, you know, it's like parents or parents, right. Whichever parents are willing to come and do things, no problem. But when I was little, that was a very mom-centric type thing. And then this was a dad-led kind of event, right? Um, and my dad would laugh because he'd be like, with the guides, which are the dads and sons, like you'd go to Tahoe and there'd be a car full of beer and a change of underwear. And with the like daughters, you'd have like the same car full of like all the paraphernalia and a six pack of beer. Uh, you know, at one point he tried to get the troop to have us do whittling. Like we had, I had a pocket knife and it took him like a whole couple of months to finally convince them. And what we ended up doing was carving soap with butter knives because people were like, oh, my daughter. And he's like, it's the same dads. Like, what is oh, this wow. deal? Right, yeah. So it's not resistance from, the kids aren't being resistant. It's no. the, the dads of those girls who are like, I don't want my daughter, I'm nervous about my daughter yeah, doing right. this thing that I would be happy for my son to do. Right. Wow. Right. But so, I mean, that's just like, 
that's the age we grew up in. And I'm really glad, like, I hope that that's changing. You know, one of the things that's really, I really, really strong belief is there aren't things that you, that are really gender specific, you know, like people have the same level of capacity as long as you treat them like they can do it. Absolutely. And that's what I think we see with stay-at-home dads, right? We just had a stay-at-home dad on and um, he was saying like one of the really frustrating reactions that people have is like the head padding, you know, and like the kid could be half naked running down the street with one shoe on and just like the fact that he's alive, you're doing such a great job where the mom has to be doing yoga or, you know, mommy and me yoga has to, they have to be like a pianist by the age of five, like they have to be perfect. And even then she's doing something wrong. Well, I mean, definitely. And we still see that. Like my husband's really a super involved parent. And when our daughter was a baby, I was off for maybe four months for maternity leave. And then our childcare didn't kick in for till like the end of month five. So he had her for, you know, four to six weeks somewhere in there of like, he was the parent at home. He was on paternity leave. You know, he, he got these really different reactions, which is like, he would take her out to this diner to kind of get her used to being out. And because he was like, oh my God, you know, just being at home with an infant is really like, you got to get out and do stuff. He was like, everybody was so nice to him. Like all the wait staff were like, oh my God, look at you out with your baby. She's so adorable. Can I give you some, you know, hot water to heat up her milk and like, you know, total kudos, right? Which, I mean, he absolutely deserved them, but you're like, probably none of the moms got fond over that way if they were out with their baby. You know, when he's at the park, right? With, with our kid or a group of kids, you know, he's like, you have to really like, be like, I'm here with my kid. And, you know, like the self-consciousness of being judged for like, who's that guy watching the kids is like still a thing. I see what you mean. Like where it's like, no, 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 I'm a dad. That's my child. I'm a dad. I'm not a weirdo. I see. Right. Yeah. We heard that too from our guest who is a stay-at-home dad, which is the other reaction is like, that's weird. Why are you doing that? Um, And we talked to a a flight attendant who kind of gave us the same vibe, which is like, people will ask a a female flight attendant to watch their kid if they need to run to the restroom. They don't want to ask a male flight attendant. Oh, so weird. That's creepy, right? Like there's some, as a society, we still have a lot of, we're very, we, we are very concerned about men who want to nurture children. Well, and the other thing, I just thought about this example, um, the other layer of it. Now we have a lot of mixed marriages that are, you know, have kids who don't look necessarily like the mom or the dad in terms of like skin tone and skin color and stuff. So I am Indian. My husband is white, Northern European, and our daughter looks significantly like him. So that's never been a problem. But I knew somebody whose wife was, he is American. His wife was from South India. So pretty dark in terms of skin tone and the kids were darker. He told me that he would not take his kids anywhere alone until they were able to say like, dada, like not just dada in terms of sound, but saying like, 
hi dad I love you so it was like really clear that that was their dad and I just thought of that that like that makes sense because he's like otherwise people would think I'm like kidnapping these children it's a craziness that people make these assumptions like you should never look at a family and make assumptions because nowadays we build families in so many ways yeah biology is is a nicety but it's really not that important in how you built your family and when it, and I'm just thinking about like you know in the 80s and even in the 90s the idea of two men or two women getting married and having a family was not a thing right this like, gay marriage wasn't a thing people didn't do that in the 90s they didn't have children even that even then it's sort of like yes now we have a lot more mixed you know, mixed race marriages. Kosha and I are both in one, right? And we do. You know that, we're in separate ones. Yes, we're in separate. <laughs> we're both in a separate. I'm like, wow, we're learning a lot of new stuff. Thank 20 you years, for I have no idea. But, and let me just say, this is when Kosha is cigars, cigarettes, peanuts person, which is like making the random comment that's like derailing the entire <laughs> But you're such a good conductor, Shaloshi. You bring everything back. So seamlessly. Well, I was going to say, it's like, Lee, you know that when my second kid was born, he was blonde and blue-eyed. And when I would take him out, people would assume I was a nanny. And I was like, no, I'm not the nanny. I'm this child's mom. But families do look so different. And why would we assume that that just because a child is out with a male parent means that either somehow that male parent is like just barely pulling by and, oh, my God, is amazing or is weird, right? That's the dad. That is the dad, one of the dads or the dad. It doesn't matter, right? Well, and it's super unfair. And so my marriage also has, like, it's not the typical gender expectations of roles. So like the things that are chores of ours or the roles that we go are really like what suits us and what works well. So, I mean, I've been super lucky in in one way that my my husband is the sick parent always if if my kid was gonna throw up on somebody that's when that's when you call dad in the middle of the night like he was always like oh it's gonna be bad because you know like calling out dad in the middle of the night pretty much meant you were getting thrown up on dad's not here dad's not here (laughs) (laughs) right you're gonna get thrown up on (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a bad sign man it's a bad sign well i know that that you and your you and your husband have a like almost flipped in some ways. Talk a little bit more about like other ways that you've really flipped the pink chores and the blue chores. Oh, right. So um, he really is one of those people that belongs in a skyscraper in Tokyo. Like he does not need outdoor space. So (laughs) everything that has to do with the yard, that is mine. That is 100% my role. He's almost allergic to sunshine. Yes, yes. I do all the outdoor stuff because I wanted the yard. So that's clearly my problem, which is fine. I also am the one. So when we got my kid uh, a, a playground set, right? Like you get those big kits from Costco with the two swings and the slide and the double decker. He watched her and I put it together, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, he, he would come out and be like, come hold this thing while I screw it in. But that wasn't his, like, well, I thought you were talking about there. the kid. He would come out and like, hold this thing. And you're like, I'm a child. 
oh no she i was like to her she was two at the time that we built it i was like here's a drill would you like to learn how to use the drill but you know because i love that kind of stuff i remember i did a lot of theater work in college it was great i got to use the scene shop which had all the saws and the drills and the one of the first things i wanted as an adult was a, a good electric screwdriver you know like a makita type thing here I am like, we can do anything. I, I can hang that. I can build this. You know, it's not that he can't, but he has very little interest in it. He's like, I can call somebody to come do that. Right. Absolutely. You know what I can do is pay someone. That's what I can do. <laughs> and he's really right on most of those because I'm always like, we can do it. And then, you know, like I'm only allowed to have one project at a time. So my pandemic project <laughs> has been painting the house and then we'll be putting in like a retaining wall in the backyard. But I can't start the retaining wall until I finish painting the house because- Are you a project finisher? You know, like it's easy to start a lot of projects and that's why I like, that's my rule for myself is I have to finish one project and then I can start the next one because it's easy to walk into a room and be like, let's put in a brick patio over here (laughs) and then we're gonna do a retaining wall and I'm gonna paint and I'm gonna, and you're like, hold on. One thing, nobody needs to have six projects open at one time. And I have, I already have one failed project that I haven't finished. I have a leaky faucet upstairs and I was like, I should call someone. I was like, I should, then I was thinking about talking to you. And I was like, no, I should do that myself. This cannot be that hard. I tend to be more like, we'll just call somebody. Can we just call somebody? My husband, Brian tends to be like, we can fix that. I can do it. Looking back, he came from more of like a financial strife, not what's the word I'm looking for? We're strapped. Right. Right. Where things were tighter. Yeah. It was tighter. They had money, but like his mom was a lot cheaper with things and he had to like, he had to work from the age of 15, blah, 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 to have anything to pay for anything that was not, you know, basics was, is there a difference in terms of like you and your husband's backgrounds in terms of like financial? I think that it's more like, like a little bit of a social difference in, in that my husband's parents got divorced when he was 10. His dad stayed in Guam and his mom was back in California. She didn't necessarily, he spent the, the school year in California and the summer in Guam. So over the summer, they might be like, we're going to build a shed. But during the majority of the year, like his mom didn't necessarily have those skills. So I think that there was much more of that, like, well, you're going to call someone to come in and do the things that you don't know how to do. Whereas um, my, my grandfather, my mom's dad had a really good relationship with his father-in-law who had all of those skills of like building a house. And so there's this like generational passing of knowledge in my family of the like, we can do that. Let's wallpaper the house. Let's repair this stuff. Let's build things. You know, my great, great grandfather, who was actually my grandmother's stepdad and my grandfather got along really well. And he taught him all this kind of stuff. So that like self-sufficiency comes down from two sides of the family. So like, my dad, you know, we didn't come from money anywhere at like, 
you know, in order to have a stay at home mom, that, that meant that was financially difficult because California was already so much more expensive than the rest of the country. So while my parents were in the military, they saved up a bunch of money that, uh, to an amount that my grandparents thought they'd just be able to buy a house outright. And they couldn't, you know, like you just couldn't in California, um, in the Bay Area to, to afford the lifestyle they wanted, which was my mom wanted to, to be that nurturing at home parent. That meant that, you know, you weren't going to have the excess cash to be like, oh, let's just buy some. Yeah, you or know, just let's just it, spend right? the money to have somebody else fix it. Like, in order to have nice things, you had to put in the sweat equity. Um, but there was also that like father-in-law to, to son-in-law to son-in-law kind of transfer of knowledge on how to do a lot of things. So that idea that you could do it yourself was very built in. Yeah. So my culture, whereas it wasn't built into Bob's side of the family because. It wasn't an option. Well, so much of, you know, I think what you're highlighting is so much of what makes people able to do or not do a thing is if somebody shows them how to do it and helps them learn the skills, right? Absolutely. You know, when you're talking about your husband's family, you're talking about our family too. My dad didn't learn to do those things. His father never taught him. You know, in India, that was not the kind of thing that our cast of people did. That is not the thing. You know, we're at the place where it's like, but shouldn't I be able to fix a leaky faucet? Like, I'm going to pay someone $300 to do that when I could probably do it for 30. Um, and there's also a sense of accomplishment about like, I did that, right? Right. I'm not sure I want to build a retaining wall, but I certainly think I should be able to like fix a faucet. I'm not sure I know what a retaining wall is. I get that it's a wall that retains stuff. I don't know what it's retaining. Dirt. Normally dirt. <laughs> Where's the dirt going that you have to retain it? The, the, the idea is to make the backyard like, so I have a, a lovely hill here. We've had this house for many years. It's, it's probably not going anywhere, but when you take like some of the vegetation off, then you always have to worry about slide. Oh. So the idea is actually to make the yard more usable, to reclaim more of it for gardening. So it should be called a reclaiming wall. Right. It's a reclaiming wall. That's You're awesome. reclaiming your property and retaining the retain the retention is for the outside. You're retaining yeah. the dirt on the outside of yeah. it. I did not, I did not know this. I'm so I learned something. <laughs> I'm so happy. I love so one of the things I love is random facts. So I just I love to have just all kinds of like, well, actually, did you know? Chelsea, why am I not best friends with Lee? <laughs> <laughs> She's stealing another one of your friends. You should just not let her know them. Look at that. Because you, because you can't have all of my friends. That's why. Oh, a non-compete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a do not compete clause that says that I can only spend so much time talking to you every year just so you don't feel offended. Like that's already in the contract. Okay, fine, fine, I, fine, fine. Retaining walls and NDA contracts aside. Um, <laughs> well, on one hand, there's you doing outdoor chores because your husband is allergic to the sun, which is not actually an overstatement. It's very, it's, it's basically it's actually not, it's, it's not. It's, it's like just barely this, like it's only a slight exaggeration. 
he, he has that kind of skin. I mean, I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, you put him out in the sun and you're guaranteed to burn. Like sunburn at night white to like red. That's Bob, right? You, you put him out in the sun and if you leave him for just a tiny bit too long, you're talking about like scabbed, cracked skin. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh God, that's skin cancer. Okay. Right, I can see why he wouldn't want to be outdoors. When I was pregnant, the one thing that I was like, please, please, please let my kid have the, like, I don't care what gender they are. I don't care what they look like, but <laughs> please let them have skin that you can put in the sun, which, which she does, which is great. That's awesome. So there's, you do the outside tours, right? Right. But it's not just that. It's that he does so much of the inside tours. Right. He does lots of things that, you know, like, Folding laundry. I just hate folding laundry, but he is happy to do all the laundry folding, um, you know, vacuuming. My One of my favorite stories ever, and I'm going to be in trouble now for this because I'm going to tell it, then he's going to hear it. So I hate vacuuming, right? Early in our marriage, like I, I walked out into the living room and he's vacuuming the couch. And I'm like, awesome. But he's got the stand-up vacuum on the couch. Like, you know, you're not using like the, like all the little attachments. Nozzles and stuff, right. No, he's got the vacuum on the couch, right? Like, and I'm like, that's not the way. And then I'm like, brain clicks in. It's like, do you want a vacuum? I'm like, no, I don't want a vacuum. <laughs> all right, we're going to, we're brain, we're going to back out of this room. We're just going to, and we're going to come back in 10 minutes and say something nice, like, Thank you for vacuuming. Yeah. Thank you for vacuuming your way. Right? Like, you don't even have to, like, I don't want to vacuum. So why, that is my approach to, to marriage and life in general. Do you want to do that thing? No. Well, then what you should say is thank you. You should not say like, but maybe you should do it this way. I have that with uh, Brian hangs up uh, dresses like he just will like put it through the hanger and it's it's not like there are shoulder parts for the hanger for a reason and he'll just put it through and his big things like especially for bats he'll be like she could see it and if she pulls on it it'll come off and there have been several times I have to be like I have to swallow the words of like that's not how you hang up stuff but like you said do I want to hang up stuff no no so if, if you don't want to do it, you should just say thank you. The options are like the clothes will sit on the floor in the hamper or in the basket, or I have to hang up the stuff in the way I want to, or I let him hang up it in a stupid way and I will take C. I go with that one. Yeah. I yeah. mean, C is C is winning. And I know lots of people who are like, oh, my partner doesn't, doesn't help me with all of these things. And, you know, like I don't ever ask because there's no benefit to it, but Sometimes I think in my head, well, is that because you're critical about the way they do things? Because, because let me tell you, there's nothing faster than to get somebody to stop helping than being like, you're not doing it right. And many people are more than happy to back away and be like, mm, you didn't tell me what to do, which drives me crazy when people are like, oh, well, you know, I'd help my partner out more, but I just need them to tell me what to do. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. Right. I, I think, so this just reminds me of a person who gave a Ted talk. Women have to stop insisting 
to be the default parent and sort of like create space for their male partners to really be on the same, you know, same level. Like we can't, as, as women, you know, we're so used to being the default parent or that, you know, the home based, like we get to decide how we do things at home. If we really want to share all the responsibilities equally, we have to give up control of how things get done, right? Does it matter that your kid's not wearing matching clothes? No, they're a kid, they don't care. They eat dirt sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> it's so true. Well, it's I so think, true. You know, yeah, and the point of that talk was really about the, the positive or the benefit to society as a whole when we have engaged dads right? When we have fathers who are more engaged and invested, everybody wins. Oh yeah. You have to allow them to engage and invest in their way and not insist on, okay, I want you to be engaged, but it, I'm going to give you an outline of exactly how, because yeah. then they're half-assing it. Right. Or they're just going to be like, to your point, they're just going to be like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. Well, and that's, so, I mean, my husband's great because he's a very involved parent. I know this is kind of what Shayla was trying to get at. He's, you know, first of all, he's not just the parent that like you throw up on. He's also the parent that stays home when she's sick. So like I have been able, you know, I stopped maternity leave and had zero sick time, right? You use up every second of sick time for that. And I have had the advantage in my career of then never being the parent who had to, like maybe once have I stayed home with her when she was sick, right? Like he has always been the parent who was able to juggle that, to juggle job and illness, which is, you know, more traditionally a gendered role where like for some reason, which I've never understood, the mom is the default parent to stay home with the sick kid. And he's not, he's also like a lot of times the homework parent. So we both switch back and forth based on our like skills. But I would say that much more, more often than not, he's the parent who's going to do the homework, who's going to check the homework, who's going to keep her on track for her homework. When she was in kindergarten, he was the parent who like, changed his work schedule around so that he could pick her up and then, you know, get her home and get her started on homework while then he would finish some work after that, right? Like, but he was the one who had to flex his work schedule and figure his career out around that parenting, which is really not the traditional model. Um, and I don't know why not, because he's really good at it. Like not everybody is meant to be the homework parent. I certainly am not. Like some people have more patience, right? I am not. And I am the homework parent. I mean, what, is, what did I say to Justin the other day? I was, he's like, how was your day? I was like, well, I'm getting really good at writing fifth grade essays. Yeah. I was just like, I'm writing so many fifth grade essays right now. This is the third time I'm doing fifth grade writing. So, <laughs> oh, right. Like you're like really good at it. Actually now. fourth, because you probably had to help me with my fifth grade writing. I so probably did. Your own, then mine, then your two kids. Yeah. So if you're not good at fifth grade writing, you should stop trying to do fifth grade writing. <laughs> I, another really funny story and like this I think really perfectly encapsulates just how like how much your husband takes 
that would typically be default parent stuff is um, those visits to the orthodontist. So he he does, um, occasionally I do like primary care doctor visits, just it fits better in like where my work is and where the doctor is and where her school is. So like primary care I often do, but not always. Sometimes he'll take her when she was really little, my parents might take her, you know, cause they watched her sometimes and, and you just, you know, you're balancing that schedule of two people working. But I also, let's just be honest, um, you know, if my hairdresser doesn't set an appointment with me before I leave, like she's not seeing me again for <laughs> until like, you know, it's going to take me forever to be like, oh, I got to make that appointment. Oh my God. So I just got new glasses today. I just got these glasses and it took, I cannot find two pair. I have an old pair and then two that are like the proper prescription. I lost one pair or I left it in Spain on our last vacation. Two are in this house somewhere that I have no idea where they are. And my prescription sunglasses, I dove into the water when we were in Colombia, and now a very stylish sea turtle somewhere in Colombia is wearing like <laughs> a pretty fab pair of prescription sunglasses. So I had zero pairs of prescription glasses and finally I went to the eye doctor. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like if I lose a contact, then I will go to the eye doctor. And I mean, I also have reminders on my computer, like make this appointment. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make the appointment because things like the eye doctor you're supposed to go to every year. But that makes me laugh. Cause that just reminds me like of remember when like Marie Kondo was like the big thing and it was like, oh, well you should have bring all of your flashlights together. And then, you know, like you'll get rid of all but one of them. And I'm like, if I knew where all my flashlights were I wouldn't keep buying them. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is the best story ever. My husband makes all of the dentist appointments, all of the orthodontist appointments. And most of the time, like he always takes her, right? And she had these bars that were, they were like, remember how we had headgears when we were little? Oh yeah. So now they do the headgear in your mouth, right? So there's, but it's this horrible contraption of like movable bars inside, you know, and my God, she's a fidgeter. She could break that so fast. Apparently our orthodontist gives you like ortho bucks for all of the like non-emergency. Like if you make it from one scheduled appointment to the next one, I have no idea because we've never made it. I was like, did your orthodontist be like, you need to give us ortho bucks, right? I mean, they should be charging us ortho bucks. They're wonderful. But so one time she broke it and I was like, okay, I can manage to take her. So like, I mean, I think Bob still set up the appointment, but I took her, right? Like, let's let's not pretend that, you know, I managed the whole thing, but I took her. So you put her in the car and you drove her there. I, and I sat in the waiting room. <laughs> and while we were there, she's seeing the orthodontist and I can hear the people that are behind, you know, like the, the receptionist speaking to the hygienist or whatever. And she's like, the mom is here. Did you know she had a mom? <laughs> and I'm dying laughing because it's like, this is the clear thing about us. Like they didn't know she had a mom. I mean, I'm sure if they'd read her medical like emergency card, they would have seen some lady listed, but like I had never been there. So they were like shocked. Like, oh my God, the mom is here. That is an amazing story. But the interesting part there that's like, a, like societally deeper, right? Is that if I took my kid to the pediatrician all the time, no one would question whether or not she had a dad. Right. 
Absolutely. Like that's like you wouldn't like, and then if, if your husband showed up with her at the pediatrician, nobody would be like, where'd she get that adult? <laughs> like they wouldn't be like, oh my God, I had no idea she had a second adult. Right. Wow. We have never seen the mom. We weren't sure you existed. I, I laughed so hard and then I came home and I told Bob that story and he laughed so hard. That's really good. I think one of the things that strikes me when you talk about you and, and your family and sort of how you and your partner divide up the whole host of life tours, right? Kid stuff and outdoor stuff and indoor stuff and grocery shopping and meal prep and all of this. My, my partner does, I mean, it's a little bit different because the pandemic kind of shakes everything up. But for, for much of our, at least our parenting time, he did all of the grocery shopping. He was like, give me a list of what you want to make. So I do most of the cooking. I love cooking. It's my like relaxation. It's my hobby, right? Like other people have other hobbies. I mean, honestly, only in the last two years have I gotten back hobbies because before that sleep was my hobby, which is <laughs> as many parents might relate to like. What would you like to do in your off time? I would like a nap. Thank you mm -hmm. very much. Right. But I'm back to my hobbies, but cooking has always been a joy for me. I really enjoy cooking. Um, my life functions best if I have a meal plan for the week. So it was a really good balance to be like, make that list. I'll do the grocery shopping, which also that's one of those things that if somebody's willing to do the grocery shopping for you and something shows up and it's not quite the brand or whatever you had in mind, that's another just thank you moment. And if you really care about a specific thing, picture, send them a picture of what it looks like. Asking someone to like wander through the grocery store. Another good story is, you know, radicchio. I wanted radicchio because I was trying a new recipe and both Bob and the, I didn't say like, this is a type of lettuce or anything. So he's like, talking to some person in the grocery store that works there and they both decide that I've made it up. Like that thing doesn't exist. <laughs> that is amazing. He was probably like in the cereal aisle, like totally not in the proper <laughs> right. place. Well, because because it's not clear. With no context, you're like, what is that? Is that a that kind of pasta? pasta? Yes. Like that's where I would go. Like that sounds like a pasta. Tortellini, rigatoni, radicchio. Yeah, it totally absolutely. fits in. So to me, the thread, the most impressive thread, there are many impressive threads, but that like you and your partner had made decisions about how things get done from a pragmatic standpoint. Absolutely. I take my kid to the doctor because it's actually closer to my office or it's between my, you know, it's between my office and the, and the school. So I can go there and just kind of loop back around instead of like making this huge trip, right? And so if you're making a huge trip, it's just kind of on my way home, right? Same way with like, hey, you're here. You've got a flexible schedule from home. It's very pragmatic so that people aren't having to shoehorn themselves into roles that don't make sense for them. The other stuff is the stuff that you've figured out, like, this is what I enjoy. I like putting mm -hmm. things together. I'm going to put you know, together the, the play stuff. I like, I don't like the sun. I'm going to stay inside. Like that stuff is not forced upon you. You're not superimposing it. Right. Right. It's not like, well, this is yard work and yard work is men's work. So good luck with that. 
Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way for us. We've built this sort of like, here's the things that I really hate to do. I really hate to figure out how to get my car smogged. So will you do that? Okay, you'll take care of my car getting smogged. No problem. I don't know what that is either. Is that important? <laughs> but I don't know what that is. You have to have it checked out to make sure that it meets local regulations for smogging. And you can't get your new registration until it's that's been done. Right. So we did. I, we there's another word. There's another term for that here. We don't call it smogging. Oh, okay. Basically, you get your you get the admissions checked. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Oh, the admissions. You get your admissions checked. So we so we get it smogged here yeah, in okay, California. Gotcha. Okay. And you you get them smogged. No, he gets them smogged. I'm also the person who's going to change the tire if the right. tire blows because I know how to do that. And I don't think he's ever had to do that. Right, 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 right. It's so it's not like all things cars are him and all things. It's like, where's your skill set? What do you know? Oh, you hate making appointments. It's an, a, an appointment thing, right? Like I hate oh. making appointments. <laughs> he makes the appointment. So was this something that you guys discussed or did it evolve through your relationship organically? Uh, it evolved like organically. I, I don't think, I mean, we never had that, like, let's sit down and throw all the chores onto a, a sheet. Like, here's what you're going to do. And here's what I'm going to do. And some people do that because it works for them, but I am not knocking that. That's a great way to do it. And then as long as you realize that you need to renegotiate at different points in your life, because life changes. And so like when you're 25 and 26 and you get married that's the ages we were when we got married like and you sit down and make that list like it's a really different list than it is 20 years later mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. 20 years later like because that original list did not have kids doctors visits on it you know like there were so many pieces that have evolved over time and you might try it and you might change it and you know priorities are different like it goes back to you know my parents like when my mom went back to work, all of those original agreements went out the window because, because the needs uh, of the family were completely different. I also really love, I love how you both do it because, you know, one of the challenges I think for the typical default parent, usually the, the you know, the mom, the woman, is that so much of the work that the woman has to do is, is dynamic they're not static chores, right? Like people need to be fed on the regular and you can't just be like, I don't wanna do this today and like do it tomorrow, right? People have to get to school on time. They have to go to their doctor's appointments. They have to blah, all this stuff. Typically laundry, I think is sort of in the middle because you can't ignore laundry forever, but you can ignore it to some extent. Same with you dishes. You can do pretty well with those things. I mean, it's not great to live through, but right. you, you can kind of, I mean, you get to a point where you have to go buy new underwear if you're going right. to ignore laundry forever. <laughs> well, but. And, and, and the thing is that what, you know, if you leave the laundry sitting there, it's not going to yell at you that it's hungry or tired or bored, or right. it needs to go somewhere, or can you help me with my fifth grade homework? Right. It's, it's, it's not going to, laundry's not going to come at you and say, do wash me you will get to it when you get to it. And maybe, maybe you just decide to throw it out and buy new clothes, which is not a particularly cost-effective solution, but a solution. It's also not illegal, like throwing <laughs> out your child just to get a sixth grader. Yeah. Right. Well, there, there can come a point where you're like, you know, we're so far behind on laundry. Let's go pay somebody at the wash and fold to like do it. And it's going to be expensive, but it's worth it to like 
catch have up. Have it all done. Yeah. I love that you and your husband are sharing those chores that are dynamic that you cannot put aside. Right. You know, where it's like, okay, but grocery shopping could wait a day if you had to wait. But taking the kid to the orthodontist appointment, that has to be done at the time it has to be done. Right. You you can't just defer that forever. Right. I'll take him tomorrow. No, they don't have a slot tomorrow. They have a slot today. Or somebody's sick. You can't just be like, I'll go get him. I'll go get him in an hour. I'm having my coffee right now. No, you have to go get him. Uh, when you have to go get him. Whereas, you know, painting the house, it, it can wait. It, it can take two years if you let it. I mean, it just, <laughs> like your, your neighbors might not love you, but my dad, you know, took us clay pigeoning, Bob and myself. And, um, which if, and you shoot, right? I did duck hunt. I know what that is. I duck hunt. Right? <laughs> okay. So you, you, you go to the range and they shoot the clay pigeons and you shoot them with your shotgun. So the first time my dad took Bob, he'd taken me, we've gone many times, you know, and we're like, oh, we're pretty good. It's, we're not so bad. And he was like, he took him out there, handed him a shotgun. Bob hit 24 out of 25. And the wow. only reason he didn't hit the 25th one was because the guy next to him took his shot. Oh. And my dad's like, so we're just going to pretend you're teaching me how to do it. <laughs> played enough video games and he's got this hand-eye coordination that is like unbelievable. He played a lot of duck hunts. He played he? duck hunts. He played a lot of duck hunts. Well, and like all of those shooting games like Diablo and uh, they're all like you have to like aim. Yes. Uh, on that I have one more great story that shows kind of how things run in my family. Back when my daughter was about five she comes out she's probably in kindergarten and I've set dinner on the table she walks out, Bob walks out behind her and she shakes her finger at me, you know, like admonishment shake, which I'm like, I don't even know where you got that because that's not really an emotion we make. And she says, you're not doing your job. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. I can't wait to hear this. And she's like, I don't have any clean underwear. You haven't done my laundry. And I was like, mm-mm-mm. See, maybe that is where she got the finger shaking. Yeah. Now I'm shaking it, right? You did it, yeah. Laundry is not my job. My job is at the county. And I go to work and that's my job. Everything that happens here in the house, that's all of our job. And I happen to do that as a favor to you. But don't worry, you can do it too. She turns to Bob, he's shaking his head and he's like, I told you. But don't worry. After dinner, I'll show you how to use the washing machine. And I was like, oh, and by the way, you do have clean underwear. It's just not folded yet. And now she's 13. And for the past eight years, every time she does the laundry, she's like, motherfucker, I had to say something, didn't I? <laughs> well, because then after that, we were like, every week you're doing at least one load of laundry. Like maybe it's towels because, you know, how much, like if, if you ruin towels, that's not the end of the world. They can still towel, right? They can still towel. They can still towel. <laughs> they can still towel. <laughs> Pretty much. You're like, well, those aren't going out for guests, but yeah, it's right. cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are so many great stories you have about sort of like the, the parenting dynamic between the two of you and your kid and just sort of how like in those situations, the script gets completely flipped, right? 
And it just really shows, you know, this comment that your orthodontist staff made, your kids orthodontist staff, like it's the mom. I mean, Kosha's point is right. Like the one time the dad goes in there, it's not going to be like, oh, she's got a dad. Oh my God. Like it's expected that a mom would show up with kids. And so the fact that you were fine, that you showed up that one time, people were genuinely shocked. Right. Because otherwise, why would the dad do that? If, if there's a mom in the picture, why would a dad be doing that? To be unencumbered by those outside expectations and just look across the table at your partner and be like, what's going to work for us? It's such a gift for your family, but it's also a gift for everyone else to be able to look at the two of you and be like, oh, it doesn't have to be like that. Wouldn't everyone be so much happier in their domestic lives if they could actually break things down based on what they enjoyed doing or what they were willing to do instead of like what was forced on them because moms do this and dads do this. Right. It really, it's so much easier if you build your relationship and your relationship is so much smoother if you build it around what are my skills? What are my likes? What, you know, what is easier for all of us if I do it? Like, I mean, not everything that we do is something that we absolutely love, but it is what makes the most sense for us as a family. And that's really nice to to not have those requirements i mean like not everything is perfect right my kids girl scout uniform i staple those badges on you know why <laughs> because i tried ironing them on with like the sticky stuff that comes with it i tried using different ironing i tried sewing them on nothing sticks you know what sticks a stapler and i'm going to admit that my dad stapled my stuff on and that was, you know, long before my mom was working outside the house and, and they renegotiated like the roles, like he was always the parent that did anything that needed to be sewn. Now, my mom's mom was an incredible seamstress. And so like, if it really was something that needed to be sewn, she fixed it, which is why my mom didn't know how to sew because her mom was so good at it. My mom actually learned to do most of her cooking after she left the house because her mom was such a good cook. So she had to call her mom and be like, how do you boil an egg? Now, I was super competent by the time I left the house. I, I was cooking dinner, you know, for the family on a regular basis. But I still had to call my grandmother and be like, how do you boil an egg <laughs> when I was in college? Because I'm like, oh, that's a skill that somehow I missed, <laughs> right? Like I can make, I can make like cacioli pepe, but I cannot boil an egg. Right. You know, it, it just, it's funny oh, yeah. the little pieces that you miss and you always still need like your parents and your grandparents for that. Right. Like there's always, there's always more stuff to learn. The other part that's awesome about how you guys have divided and conquered, you know, things in your lives is that your daughter sees the different ways of being, you know, and in, in, in our family, you know, Brian does the morning stuff because I am not a morning person. So I would like literally roll out of bed, give her a piece of bread to eat in the car and then drop her off at school if it was up to me. Right. You're like, oh, you've got clothes on. Congratulations. Now your daughter sees, oh, it doesn't have to be like this and like this. There's a million different ways to be a girl. There's a million different ways to be a boy or mom or a dad. And so you're starting a tradition of 
you know, that generational change. Yeah, no, it's really important because I think that we are coming into a world where families look completely different. And so that understanding that, you know, what actually makes a family is that agreement that you have with each other and that there aren't, there shouldn't be gendered roles in what makes a family work. Um, and family, that doesn't have to include kids. Like that's just like what your, what your adult arrangement is. It doesn't need to include kids. It can be, you know, with someone of the same gender, it can be a different gender. It can be whatever it needs to be, but that that's not like you set the rules uh, and you set the rules based on your skills and based on what you are good at and what you enjoy, but you should never like not pursue something because it's not traditional. You know, like I think that was one of the great things for me is that I never felt restricted by traditional roles or traditional activities. Like I do a lot of things that are very traditionally feminine and I do a lot of things that are not. I have always been really comfortable in that. It has not always made the people around me comfortable, like random strangers. Um, it's made people make assumptions around my gender identity or my sexual orientation, which is always fascinating because, you know, there is like a myth that if you're a woman who likes power tools, then you have to be a lesbian. And that's not really true. And, and that's never bothered me, but it is fascinating to see how that like stereotyping persists even now. I, I hope more kids know that they, they get to make the rules and be who they want to be. What's so important there, you know, it connects with your dad, but also what you were observing in, you know, those nature scout type things, which is parents often impose gender, gender roles, activities, preferences on their children, even though their children are clearly saying, I want to do this, even though it's not a typically boy thing or a typically girl thing to do, you know, shouldn't every kid know how to use a pocket knife? Maybe not to whittle things. I mean, we're not, they should. We're not in the frontier anymore, but learning to whittle is how to use a pocket knife. That's an important skill. Right. Well, yeah. Knife skills are important for a lot of things. That, that level of feeling like you can survive on your own, like that competence. I mean, yes, it, it's great to, to know that like, hey, you should come to my house when we hit the zombie apocalypse. We will totally be able to survive. If you have a big truck, bring that so we can get the like, you know, train mover, the people mover on the front to mow down the zombies. But we can totally work it out, right? Like we've got those skills. We're going to make it through because um, we can cook the, everything. We can figure out, like remember at the beginning of the pandemic, and people were like, there's food scarcity everywhere and you're not gonna have enough food and you're not gonna, and I was like, oh, well, we have plenty of food. And people were like, ah, you're gonna run out of like meals. I'm like, oh, they might not be traditional meals but we could eat for a long time and what like what we have. You may not look at it and be like, oh, that's my protein and my <laughs> carbs and my fruits and vegetables. It might be like, this is a weird combo but it'll still taste good. You're gonna survive, yeah. We're going to survive. Well, so there's a difference between meals and food to eat. Right. 
right? And sometimes what you put on the table is food to eat, not a meal. That's okay. Yeah. Right. Um, Gosh, like it just goes to reinforce the fact that so much of the gender stuff is, it's not internal. It's so external to an individual about what, what, what they're like, they pursue the path that they're allowed to pursue. And if you let a girl learn how to use power tools, they may not ever love using power tools, but they'll be comfortable using power tools. And if you, you know, support a boy in learning how to cook and sew, that doesn't mean they're going to become a, you know, a seamstress or I don't even know what the male a tailor, but yeah, <laughs> but they would be able to fix their pants if they needed to. Like we're talking like on some level, some real basic life management skills that both sides are missing because there's this idea of like, well, these people do these things and these people do these things. Seamster. Seamster is the name. Seamster. Wow. I just, I didn't know that was a word. I'm looking it up. Taylor is gender neutral. Seamstress. The male counterpart Uh to seamstress is seamster. But you don't know that word because there aren't a lot of them. That's interesting. Right. Uh, Yeah. Everybody should know how to put a button back on their shirt. You know, like that's, or their pants, like that's a skill. You shouldn't have to run around like with safety pins, keeping your pants together. Yeah. So as we move toward the end of this interview, first of all, it's been awesome to talk to you. What would you say to someone who is in your position, right? Or what would you have said to your, you know, your younger self about how does this play out? What advice would you give about how to manage this stuff? Right. I mean, um, I, I mean, I think there's some things that go into it. Like one of them is being really honest about who you are. It's, it's a little bit like when, when it finally occurred to me in my forties that going to the eye doctor, I should just tell him when I can't see things instead of like trying to guess the right number. It, it's not a test in that way. Like you're not getting anything by pretending to be different than who you are. It's a lot easier when you're negotiating your life with the people around you, if you're like, this is who I am, these are some of the things I enjoy. Another thing that I think is really important is to be open to new experiences and to always be learning, like not to feel like you can't do something because it falls within a category that is or isn't like in your expected category. But when really when you're you're making your decisions around partners, but also friends. Like, I mean, you know, Shailu, that in our group of friends, like we all have different skills. And so like we've assigned some of our roles when we do things like go to Girls Weekend Away, like here, you really shine at this and it's hard for me. So why don't you take that and I'll do this thing that you hate because I like that thing or that thing doesn't bother me at all. So it's it's that kind of like being honest about the things you like, but then it's also the, like, if you're going to hand something off, hand it off. Don't be like, well, I'm just going to judge and micromanage the way you do that thing. Like if, if you're like, you're in charge of meals, then you say, thank you. When somebody makes you a meal and you can offer like constructive criticism, like, oh, I loved, 
you know, this meal, but it had a lot of pepper. Could be like- You should put the salt in with your boob. <laughs> right. <It's, laughs> it makes everything taste better. It does. <laughs> well, and I think you're, I mean, people are allowed to give their preferences, obviously, to be like, you know, this wasn't my favorite thing that you've ever made, right. but like coming in with that sense of like gratitude about like someone is doing something for me that otherwise I would have to do myself. Right. Yeah. And I'm thankful not to be responsible for this. Thing. Yeah. Do you want a vacuum? No, you don't want a vacuum. Then you say, thank you for vacuuming. Then you don't say we have attachments and nozzles for that. Because you know what, when you, when it's all done and you walk back into that room and the couch is beautifully vacuumed, it does not matter how it got done. That is somebody else's opinion on how those things should be done that you've been trained. So, I mean, that's one of the things that parenting has been amazing about because it's made me check so many assumptions. Like you just have these beliefs like, oh, you know, my, my daughter wanted to get her ears pierced when she was little. And in, in my cultural background, that's something you do when you're older. Like, oh, when you're 16, you get your ears pierced. And she really, really wanted it. And I had to really like, be like, why am I opposed to this? Mm. And, you know, like I had to think through it and be like, well, you know, they make Hello Kitty earrings because little girls get their ears pierced. But it was interesting because it was just this assumption that it was something you did when you were older. And it was funny because I have lots of friends whose cultural background, like it's something you do, you know, close to birth. Six months old. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And it never occurred to me that that was a bad choice. Right. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm judging everybody else who does it early. It was just this, like, that's not what we do. And you're like, well, why not? So I think that's yeah. actually the right question to ask yourself anytime you're, you're negotiating things. Cause I think a lot of times we end up doing things that we don't really want to do because that's how we think we're supposed to do them. So you know, that's the same when you're assigning roles in your family. Like, well, I'm supposed to do this. Well, why? Why not do it differently? That is, that is awesome. What I like about your advice is really, it's more about curiosity than anything, right? Like being curious and digging in and, and saying like, just because, and even like this, just because this is how I did it, doesn't mean that that's how we have to do it or whatever. And and just asking yourself, like, well, why? Um, and it's it's so important. It's vital for like life, not just gender roles, not just marriage, not just parenting. Um, do you want to run for president? Because I think you could go a long way. No, I have zero interest in that. That doesn't sound like I know, fun. that's the problem. Like the people who would be really, really, really good at it and like make a difference and impact, they, they're the ones who don't want to do it, right? Um, so our last question is about Familect, which we talk about on every episode. Can you give us some examples of some of the words, phrases, et cetera, that you use in your small intimate groups that like me walking into the room would not know what the hell you're talking about? This is always hard for me because of course, like there's tons of them, but when you like pin me down and I'm like, okay, I've been thinking about this. What, what is it? It's harder to, to really talk about, um, but also it's hard to talk about it because it's normal vocabulary for us. No one, no, you know, it's, it's not the weird things, quote unquote, that we say, because it's not weird in your small intimate group. So yeah, yeah I do understand that it's, it's hard. So, I mean, I have a couple of them. So early on in our relationship, one of the things that we 
metered out that, you know, maybe people don't traditionally pass out as roles was um, I'm the optimist, which was sprung on me, by the way, after like <laughs> I was invested in this relationship. I was told, by the way, you're the optimist. So, you know, like that, that was a little hard. So Bob gets to be the pessimist. I get to be the optimist. <laughs> I've gotten really good at it. I don't have to be the optimist at work. So that helps. Okay. It's my right, little so balance, time, yeah. you know, but, but we always like when things are hard, we're always like, well, it could be worse. It could be worse. We could be on fire. This was before California <laughs> burned down every year. Was actually um, on fire. Right. 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 Like you could be on fire. So you're like, oh, okay. You're right. Like, it's not that bad. So we, we do that kind of phrasing a lot when things are like, uh, making us crazy. This extends to my extended family, but like anytime we're talking about, like we do a lot of like, your <laughs> child is doing blah, 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 you know, or like, why can't you control your child as though they're not ours? Or, hey, I heard that your mom, you know, was asking for something or like, there's this sort of uh, putting, putting the blame in a joking kind of way See, now we know why the orthodontist didn't realize that your daughter had a mom because it was always your child. Right. Like, <laughs> what can you do with your child? Um, so we do, we do that a lot where it's like, I mean, even today, you know, the cats are doing crazy things and, and Bob's like, your cat did. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, that one, he might actually be my cat, but. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, his child came in wagging her finger at you right. about why there weren't any clean clothes. Exactly. Can you get your child's finger out of my face? Mm -hmm. like that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Why, why is your child bothering me? I don't understand. <laughs> yes. Now, is it ever like, well, that's my child. Do you ever turn it when she's doing something really angelic or like she's gotten an A on something? She's working really hard at something. You're like, my child is amazing. Does it, <laughs> does it flip? Not, not so much, um, okay. you know. It's like, only the blame. It's all, only it's the always blame. The... And it's always in a joking manner. It's funny in that way. Well, this has been super fun. I, you know, I'm not normally a talk about myself kind of person. So this is, this has been really fun. Plus you guys are awesome. What's so awesome. I mean, one of the most awesome things about doing this podcast, well, one, we get to talk to some amazing people. We get to talk to amazing people. But the other thing is like our guests, always say thank you for this opportunity to talk about my story because truthfully when do you ever get two hours to think about your life right and to like process it and put things together um even if you're having a two-hour conversation with someone it's a back and forth and it was like some people have said it's like therapy it's more fun than therapy <laughs> Shelsea and kosha don't ask you to do the hard thing right right they're just that you gently just, got to hear like nobody asked you the really hard questions right not like what part did you play in your own trauma oh my god I don't <laughs> want to talk about that right I mean I think we've all been in where we're like oh no no that question I will talk about anything but that thing <laughs> like what part did I play I am playing the part of the long-suffering wife that is my part I'm playing the part of the perfect person and he is <laughs> fucked up so fix it <laughs> right we've had a lot of friends on the podcast and even people we've known for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, we learned something about them. I've heard so much about you and I'll, now it's very clear why 
she actually loves you so much. It really is. Aww. It was really lovely to spend this time with you. Thank you. It was really lovely. You may not have her. Remember, there's a non-compete clause. Yes. That was smart, Shalushi. When did you slip that into the... When you started making like <laughs> moves on a whole bunch of people, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to lock these people down. <laughs> All right. Have a wonderful, wonderful day and week coming up. And thank you so much. And also, um, I have a statement lip that I will send. Awesome. Thank you. She's very excited about like the advice you already gave. So, oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. It's, it's, it comes out of practice. It's like changing a tire. You have to be that's like, the, yeah, really. <laughs> I, well, and that's the thing is I'm like trying to help her with this. And, you know, like honestly, she normally is, she's like, I'm going to take dad shopping or take her to the orthodontist. One of those bitches might know how to put on lipstick. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> She doesn't have a mom. Maybe they'll feel bad and help her put on makeup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs>